Inside, it's comfortable. Inside a house, inside a family, inside a routine. But what if we widen our view beyond the fence across the street? Outside, we find people struggling with loneliness, poverty, families that don't look like ours, or without a safe family at all. Jesus didn't call us to live by our neighbors. He called us to love our neighbors. That might have felt like a pretty random story to read because I realized that there was not like a, here's the moment where we talk about Jesus in the middle of this book. But I think that that book lines up really well with what we talked about last week. When we read those words that Jesus, you know, he told a, a, uh, an expert in the law, when he answered them a question of what is the most important commandment? Well, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think it fits so well, and we're gonna talk about it a little bit more this morning. It fits so well because it is really easy to love people sometimes. It's even harder to like them sometimes. And it's, you know, there are some people that it's hard to love ever, and it's hard to like ever. And that story that we read in there, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, that's actually what we're called to do with our neighbor. If you would this morning open up to Luke chapter 10, we're basically gonna stay there the entire morning. And we're gonna look at when a, uh, another instance where somebody asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And we're gonna see a little bit of a different response out of Jesus this time but not a different message, just a different way of answering the question. You know, we talked last week about how one of the most important things that we need to do as followers of Christ when it comes to loving our neighbors is we need to humble ourselves. We need to stop thinking of ourselves as better than the person who is needing to be loved. We need to stop thinking of ourselves as, well, I'm gonna give to you out of my superiority to you. I'm going to serve you and I'm gonna love you out of my superiority. And instead, I'm going to love you because we are neighbors who are both sons and daughters of God. And we begin to look at each other in a different light that way. We begin to look at ourselves a little bit differently when we begin to do that. But this morning in Luke chapter 10, we're gonna start in uh, verse 25. And it says that one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So we look at this already and it says that this expert in the law comes up to him to test him. I don't know, you guys have probably experienced this at some point in your life. That you've had someone come up to you just to try and trip you up on something. Anybody ever experienced that? Like they're not, they don't genuinely care what your answer is. They just want you to mess up. If you have siblings, you have had this happen to you before. If you have kids, you have had this happen to you before. Where someone, they just want you to mess up. They just want to find out that you don't know everything. And so this expert in religious law is coming up to Jesus, and what he's hoping, I would say, is he's hoping that Jesus is going to pick one of those 630-some laws that they're supposed to follow as Jews, as the Israelites, that they're supposed to follow, and then they can jump all over him and be like, well, what about this one, and what about that one, and what about this one, and what about that one? And instead, Jesus turns the tables on him, and he says, well, 
What do you say it is? You know, that's actually, uh, if you go through any kind of apologetics training, that's one of the things they teach you is don't just give answers all the time. Ask questions. Try and figure out why people are asking the questions. Figure out where people are currently at so you can walk through it with them. But he, he asked the question back, what does the law of Moses, it's also a great way, sorry, I know that was a quick pivot all of a sudden. It's a great way to frustrate teenagers is when they ask you a question to ask them a question back. So you can like use it against them, but you can also use it to teach them things too. You know, you, you learn a few tricks in youth ministry. What does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Does it sound familiar? All your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I think I could safely say that we have all at some point in our lives played the game of where's the line? You know, when we're young and sometimes when we're not so young, we play that game in physical relationships. We're like, well, how far is too far? Like, you know, is, is it first base? Is like too far the holding hands and the kissing stage? Is, you know, is that too far? And some are like, no, first base is like that you just said hi to each other. So let's, let's back up on these bases here a little bit. Or is it second base where, you know, you get to kind of hold each other and cuddle? Or is it, in, you know, how far is too far in a relationship? We want to know just where that line is. Or, or what, words, what words can I use as a Christian? Is, is but okay as a Christian? B-U-T, obviously, I'm talking about, not the other one. Is, is that okay to use as a Christian? Or, or can I use the, the one that's the other name for the donkey? Like, can I use that as a Christian? Is that okay? Um, how far is too far? Where's the, where's the limit as to what kind of language I can use? Or, or, okay, with drinking, like, what can I do as far as drinking? Can I have one? Can I have two? I mean... I can handle it pretty well. Can I have five or six because I can handle it well? How far is too far? Where is the line? Or, or what can I watch? What movies can I go to? Are rated R movies okay? Or is it only okay to go to a rated R movie if it's the Passion of the Christ? You know, where is the line for rated R? Where is, is PG-13? Because I'm obviously over 13. Can I break the law while I'm driving? You know, I remember my grandpa telling me one time because we would have stop signs out in the country. He's like... The law, you know, God says to follow the law of your land. He doesn't say you have to stop when it's completely ridiculous in the middle of nowhere. And so, you know, how, how, how many of the laws do I really have to follow in order to be listening to what God told me and what Jesus taught me and the example that he set? We love to, to ask, where is that line that I can go right up to, but if I go any further, I'm going to go off the cliff and I'm going to end up in hell someday. I want to know where that is. And that's what this man is doing. He's saying, but hold on a second. Who is my neighbor? And you know, it says in there he wanted to justify his actions, which means he knew that there were some people that he wasn't treating really well. He knew that there were some people that, well, if that person's my neighbor, then I'm in some pretty big trouble. So I need Jesus to explain, and I need him to explain this in a way that's going to make me happy that these people you don't need to worry about. 
these aren't the ones that you have to love. When I say love your neighbor, I'm talking about the people who are like you and believe the things that you believe. That's what I'm talking about. Instead, Jesus tells them this story, and many of you are going to know this story. We have a hospital right over in Vincennes named after this story right here. Jesus replied with a story in verse, uh, verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So Jesus is telling, just a little bit of background, Jesus is telling this story to a group of Jewish people. To a group who would, they would associate with this man, they would consider him one of them. Like he, he was obviously a good old boy because he was a Jewish man. So this guy, he gets a thumbs up in our book. It was, you know, if, if you're in a group of people who there's a lot of racial tension or there's racism, like he would be saying, this guy is just like you, so it's okay. You don't need to worry about it. That's basically what he's starting this story with. In verse 31, he says, by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. I mean, that would be kind of the equivalent of me going down the road and seeing Dan Emmert beat up and left just trashed on the side of the road by some bandit, left naked lying on the side of the road and seeing him and he's bleeding everywhere and being like, mm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. That'd be like the pastor going by and saying, nope, not going to help that person out. The priests were the people who were supposed to be giving the sacrifices on behalf of the Jewish people so that they could be forgiven of their sins. They held an important role in, in spreading that love and interceding for the Jewish people. Now, obviously, the role of pastor is a little different than the role of priest was back in the first century. But it's, you know, it's, they were in charge of shepherding a flock of people. And instead, this man sees a Jewish man lying on the side of the road and just goes around him. A temple assistant, or in some translations it says a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. This would be kind of like one of our board of trustees members or a, a council member or a worship leader because the Levites were in charge of taking care of the building. They were also in charge of leading the songs. If you go back and you read Numbers where it's kind of talking through the roles of the Levites, they, you know, when the ark was being carried or the, the tent was being carried, they were the ones who were allowed to do it. Nobody else was allowed to touch it. And so these people who have this big role in the temple, this big role in the faith, he sees the man lying there, and instead of helping one of his brothers, he crosses to the other side of the road, and he walks on by. Two people who should have been there to help this man out, and I've heard all sorts of different reasons as to why they wouldn't have done it. You know, he would have been considered unclean because he was bleeding and they're not supposed to have contact with blood. Or he would have been considered unclean because the bandits had taken all of his clothes away and he was lying there naked. If you go way back to the story of Noah, that's why one of his sons got in trouble over it. Because you're not supposed to look upon the nakedness of another person. And so there's these different reasons that, you know, he could have been unclean. Or, or they could have been worried that if I stop and I help, well, what if I become the next victim? Or why in the world was this guy out here in a place he shouldn't have been in the first place? He should have known better. 
You know, and as we start to look at that and we're starting to look at some of the reasons, some of them are very similar reasons that we use sometimes for not helping people out. Well, they should have made some better decisions with their life. Or if I help them out, I might get lice. And I don't want lice. Or right now, if I help them out, I might contract COVID from them. If I love my neighbor, I might have fill in the blank as to what could happen to you. Or we just don't help because, well, you know, like I said, they, they need to make better decisions in life. They put themselves in that position in the first place. So that's not the person that I need to love right now. They would have been hearing this story and they would have been having those thoughts run through their head. They would have been having the thoughts of, well, here's the reasons why those people didn't do that. You know, these are based on the laws that we have and based on the situations that we're in. This guy, yes, he's like one of us, but they were justified in not helping him out. And then Jesus does a shift. He gets to verse 33 and he says, Then a despised Samaritan came along. And we've talked a little bit about what a Samaritan was, but a Samaritan was kind of, they were the half-breed. They were the, they were the part Jewish, part Assyrian when they got taken into, into captivity. They were the ones that the Jewish people had children with, and so they're half-breeds, they're not full-bloods, and so they're just, they're not worth your time. They're not somebody that you're supposed to associate with. The Samaritans thought that they were the true inheritors of, you know, they were the true children of God. They were the ones who were going to have the inheritance that Jesus talked about, or that God talked about. They were the ones, they had their own mountain that they worshipped God on, Mount Gerizim. And then you have the Jewish people who are like, no, we are the true children of God. We worship him in the correct place. We worship him in Jerusalem. You guys are just the, you're the discards. And they didn't talk to each other. They didn't associate with each other. They hated each other. And it says a despised Samaritan came along. And the people hearing this story, like you can just kind of, you can imagine them sitting there and just cringing like, oh, those people. Like, man, I hope that guy gets attacked by the bandits. That's going to be an awesome story if that guy gets attacked by the bandits and he gets taken. Maybe they'll kill him. But when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher, I'll pay for it the next time I'm through. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, now, go and do the same. So Jesus uses the guy who should be the villain of the story. By all accounts of how the Jewish people believed, yes, the bandits, they would have been villains, obviously, but but this Samaritan man coming along, he was just the villain, period. Not just of this story, but of every story. And instead, Jesus uses this Samaritan man and makes him the hero of the story. He makes him the one who sets the example for how things should be. For how we should love our neighbor. For who our neighbor is. They would would not have been pleased 
to hear Jesus say this. They wouldn't have sat there and went, you know, obviously this man responded the way that Jesus wanted him to, but, but most people hearing this story would have sat there and been like, yeah, let's kill this guy. Oh, wait, they did that later on. Let's, let's get rid of this guy because we do not like his teaching. He is teaching us to love and care for people that we don't love and care for. He is teaching us that I have to set aside generations of hate and generations of this feeling of despicability towards another person. I have to set all of that aside and I have to love this person? Are you kidding me? There is no way I'm going to do that. And when Jesus is answering this question of who is my neighbor, he's, kind of, he's building upon what he had taught you know, in, our, in our Bible four chapters earlier. Obviously, it wasn't just like four chapters earlier in their lives. There were days and months probably that went by in the time period. But when he said, you know what, what is it to love somebody who loves you back? That's easy. It's easy to love somebody who's going to return it back to you. But I call you to love the person who isn't going to return it back to you. When I say to love your neighbor, I'm not just talking about the person who lives next to you. I mean, that, you know, like I talked about that last week, that would make my life super easy if I only had to love the people who live next to me. Because nobody lives next to me. Like, that would be so easy. I'd be like, God, I love that command. I think we probably wouldn't see people living in cities anymore. We would see a lot more areas like this where people are all nice and spread out. And really, you know, if people would get more spread out, maybe they would actually love each other a little bit more. Some, there's something to the whole you get people piled on top of each other and eventually tensions rise and you start doing things that you wouldn't normally otherwise do. That's, that's totally beside the point. If it was just having to love the person next door to you, man, that would be so much easier most of the time until you're in that spot where you don't really care for the person next door to you or the person next door to you, they believe totally different than you do on a whole lot of things. And we've lived in neighborhoods like that where the people next door to us had very different belief systems than we do. You know, to where the people next door to us, they would be the ones who were who are out there rioting and looting and how we're, you know, we hear so much right now about how wrong that is. They would have been those people and we would have been sitting there going, you know what, you are our neighbor and God has called us to love you. You know, sometimes it's easy if God would just say, just love the person next door. Sometimes even that is hard. Sometimes it's easy to love the people in your house and sometimes they are the hardest people for us to love. But Jesus takes this so much bigger. And he says, you know, this isn't just about loving the people that are easy to love. When I say to love your neighbor, I'm talking about loving the people that you don't think deserve it. I'm talking about loving the people that society has deemed to be unworthy of love. I'm talking about people that the church, and this won't even, it hurts to even admit that this is a real thing, that the church has deemed unworthy of our love. You know, you, you're probably getting sick of me bringing this up, and I would apologize for it if I thought that I should stop bringing it up. 
But as we get on social media pages and we see church members getting on social media pages and people who profess to be followers of Christ, it becomes pretty obvious that there are some people that we believe are not worthy of our love. And if you don't have social media, I would say there is probably an area in your life or a group of people in your life where this can seep in. I'm not saying it does with everybody, and I'm not saying it does all the time, but where this can seep in to where we just, you know, there's that person that we just love to talk about all the mistakes that they've made and all the negative parts of their life. And, you know, as, as kids, we love to find that one kid who just smells different. And we just, you know, we had that kid growing up. I won't say his name now, but we had that kid that everybody knew this kid smells funny. And so never to his face, but behind his back, people would love to, and I have to admit, I was one of them, that would talk about just how bad he smelled. He wasn't worthy. By our actions, we communicated that he wasn't worthy of our love. He wasn't worthy of being treated like everybody else. In our school, we had a, a mentally challenged young man who I wasn't one who participated in this, and I can, I can proudly say that, but who was just mercilessly picked on by students in the school. Whether it was name-calling, whether it was physical abuse, whatever, you, things that, that there, there should be a lot of shame walking around from a lot of people in the school where I grew up. He wasn't worthy of being loved and treated like everybody else. That was the belief system. And we can easily slip into a mentality of there are just people who are not worthy. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is the BLM supporter. Or if you're a supporter of BLM, our neighbor is the proud boy. Our neighbor is the Democrat, and our neighbor is the Republican. Our neighbor is the person who supports pro-life, and our neighbor is the person who supports pro-choice. Our neighbor is the cisgender, our neighbor is the non-binary, our neighbor is the straight, our neighbor is an LGBTQ+. Our neighbor is the person who professes to love Jesus, and our neighbor is the person who says that Jesus never existed in the first place. Our neighbor is Donald Trump, and our neighbor is Joe Biden. I was actually, I was relieved when I saw, when Donald Trump uh, contracted COVID and he's on his way to the hospital, I was relieved at the response that I've seen from so many on Facebook who have done nothing but tear him down. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are just celebrating that he has COVID. And I know there are those who are celebrating that he won't be able to run or, or they're saying that maybe he won't be able to continue in the race and, and all these things. And there are those who are hoping he's going to die. But on my feed, I have been so relieved to see so many people who say nothing positive about the man, say, I don't like this man. 
but he is still created in the image of God. And I would not pray this on anybody. We need to pray for our president. It has been so relieving to see that. And I sit there and I go, we need to remember that he is our neighbor all the time. And if you love Donald Trump, Joe Biden is also your neighbor all the time. The orphan is your neighbor. The widow is your neighbor. The homeless man on the corner of the street is your neighbor. Who is my neighbor, the man asked, so that he could justify his actions, so that he could justify how he didn't treat everyone in the same way and he didn't love everyone in the same way. And Jesus told him a story that told him and everybody else that your neighbor is the person that you love and is easy to love, your neighbor is the person who loves you back, and your neighbor is the person that you've walked around your whole life thinking that they are not worthy of your love, and that the world says is not worthy of your love. That is your neighbor. Next week, we're going to come, we're going to just talk about, okay, we know who our neighbor is now. We might not like it. We might not want to accept it. But at least we know who. But how? How do we love our neighbor? Because I, it, realistically, it doesn't look the same for every single person that we love. The intentionality behind it is the same. The heart behind it is the same. But the action looks different. And I know that it's easy to sit and to listen to these words and be like, yeah, but there are people who have made poor decisions and there are consequences for poor decisions. We can't just bail them out. I never said anything about bailing people out. If that's our first thought when we hear to love these people, then we need to refocus on what it means to love people. Our neighbor that we're called to love is every individual created in the image of God. How we love them looks different. And next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. This morning though, I want to invite you uh, here in just a moment to stand back up. And we're going to re-sing that song that we sang right before. That we are the sons and we are the daughters of God. And I want us to remind ourselves that when we sing that, we're talking about those of us who are in this room. We're talking about those that are watching online. And we're talking about those who wouldn't dare set foot in a church for whatever reason it may be. That we are created in his image and in his masterpiece. And each individual is our neighbor. Would you stand with us? When that teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor and looked over the side of his bed and sang that song to a boy who had strange friends and strange clothes and he listened to strange music. And when the little boy was growing older before that, he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when grandma visited, he always said bad words. And yet she sang that song to him, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. When the boy was two, he pulled all the books off the shelves, 
He pulled all the food out of the fridge and he took his mother's watch and he flushed it down the toilet and he drove her crazy. And she said to him, she sang to him, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. People are gonna drive us crazy. And people are gonna do things that we so disagree with. And people are gonna throw things back in our face. And Jesus calls us to love them forever and to like them for always. And to no matter what, their neighbor, we will be 